Our lesson of the day is from the epistle of James. I will read in chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. Can a fig tree, my brother, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you might grant us wisdom, wisdom that comes from above, that we might order our lives rightly, that there may be no self-seeking or confusion among us, but that we may seek your glory and one another's good. This we pray according to your word, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. What's the best advice you've ever received? What's the best advice you've ever been given? Uh, I did a little search for this on the web to see what people would say. And this is, this is a sampling of what I came up with, the best advice people say they were ever given. Forgive and forget. Whatever you do, give 100%. Make yourself a bargain. Time is your most valuable commodity. Fortune favors the bold. Know yourself. Never sacrifice truth on the altar of peace. Make the most of each day. Don't ruin ruin an apology with an excuse. Make friends only with people who want the best for you. Always treat a gun like it's loaded. You wonder what triggered that last piece of advice. Uh, But yeah, all all that's good advice. Those are good pieces of advice. Now turn it around. Uh, What's the worst advice you've ever received? Something that somebody told to you, they thought they were imparting wisdom, and it turned out to be a disaster. Again, I Googled this just to see what people might say, uh, and here were some answers. Worst advice ever. It'll all work out. (laughs) Do what makes you happy. Uh, Follow your heart. You can be anything you want to be. Uh, If you're not in love anymore, you should divorce. You're perfect just the way you are. Actually sounds like Disney movies may be imparting a lot of bad advice, if that's correct. Okay. Whatever you think of those particular examples uh, of good and bad advice, we all know there is such a thing as good advice and there is such a thing as bad advice. There are people who seek to impart counsel and they give us good counsel. There are people who seek to impart what they think is good counsel and it turns out really to be bad counsel, bad advice. Well, in the same way as there is good and bad advice, James shows us here there is good and bad wisdom. There is what he calls heavenly wisdom, and there's also what he calls earthly or demonic wisdom. There is wisdom from above and wisdom from below. There is true wisdom, 
And there is pseudo-wisdom. There's the real thing, the genuine article, real wisdom, and then there is also a kind of counterfeit wisdom. And the question James poses for us, this is a great question to consider over your life during the season of Lent. The question James forces us to ask is this, which wisdom do you live by? And James shows us here the kind of wisdom you live by, the wisdom you live by will be seen in your actions, in your way of life. Matthew Henry said, true wisdom does not lie in good notions or speculations, but in good and useful actions. And that's very clear here in James chapter 3. The kind of wisdom we live by, the kind of wisdom we possess, will be manifest in our way of life. So often we want solutions to our problems or ways to cope with life that do not require us to change, that do not require us to grow up. Uh, solutions to our problems or ways of coping with life that allow us to remain passive. But wisdom acts. Wisdom asserts itself. Wisdom is active. True wisdom will change your life. Wisdom is transformative. The truth is we desperately need wisdom to live well. The law, the law of God, makes many things in life crystal clear for us. And a lot of decisions we face, a lot of uh, situations we're confronted with, the law speaks to them directly, and then we know in a black and white kind of way what we are to do. But the reality is there are a lot of situations in life, a lot of things we face in life, they're not directly addressed by God's law. And even when the law does address something, how to apply the law is often not obvious. In these situations, what we need is wisdom. Situations where there's no clear-cut rule or no clear-cut way to apply the rule, these kinds of situations call for wisdom. Think how often this is the case. What job to take, where to invest your money, who to vote for in an election, when to speak up and confront somebody, and when to remain quiet, how to help an addict, how to help a poor person, who to marry, how to relate to a difficult boss, how to respond to bullying, or how to respond to slander. The law draws boundaries for us, but it doesn't answer those questions. In these cases, what we need is wisdom. But we sometimes miss the role that wisdom should play in our lives. Think about this. You've you probably faced this kind of scenario before. You're facing a decision. It's one of those decisions that's not clearly addressed by the law. And so we ask God to help us make this decision. We know we should pray, and so we do so. But many times our prayer is vague. It, and it's like we're just expecting God to zap us with some sudden burst of insight so we'll know what to do. It's like we're expecting God to write it in the sky for us or maybe speak to us, if not in an audible voice, some kind of inner voice. There's a lot of Christians who live that way, listening for this inner voice. You know, it's God, just tell me what your will is. Tell me what you want me to do. Make it easy for me. But that's really not the way we should be praying. We should not be praying for some flash of insight or for an inner voice. We should be praying for wisdom. And wisdom is quite different. If God just told you what to do in each situation, if he did just write it in the sky for you or give you some kind of voice, well, then certainly you could practice obedience by submitting to that. 
But you would never mature by wrestling through the issues. That maturity that we're called to is the product of wrestling through the issues. You wouldn't become wise if God just told you what to do. You'd miss the whole point. The point is, when God puts us in these situations, the point is for us to grow up and take responsibility for ourselves and learn how to make good decisions. When we're faced with these kinds of situations, God is saying to us, look, this is an opportunity for you to grow in wisdom. When we face a situation that is not morally black and white, we should pray that God would lead us into wisdom. And as James tells us in chapter 1, that's a prayer God delights to answer. How does God answer that prayer for wisdom? Well, uh, in part, it often comes through meditation on Scripture as we study God's Word. And the answer comes through mentors as we seek wisdom in a multitude of counselors. And uh, the answer often comes in the crucible of suffering because often suffering opens our eyes. Even though we feel like we're shrouded in darkness in times of suffering, in those times of darkness, our eyes are open to see God's light in new ways. We learn to trust and obey in new ways. We mature through trials and tests. If you want wisdom, you have to seek it. You know, wisdom is hard to pin down. It's kind of elusive. Think about beauty. Can you define beauty? I mean, I know there's a dictionary definition we could all look up. But really define beauty. It's hard to do. You might say, you know, I I, I know beauty when I see it. I can recognize it. But it's hard to pin it down. It's hard to articulate what it is, what makes something so attractive, so beautiful to us. So it is with wisdom. The wise life is the beautiful life. Uh, In fact, in Scripture, wisdom is an aesthetic category as much as, as it is a moral category. The wise man not only does what is good and right, he does what is fitting and appropriate. He not only does the good thing, he does the beautiful thing. There's a, a, a beauty to the life of wisdom, even as there's a goodness and a rightness to the life of wisdom. Wisdom really is the key to human flourishing. With wisdom, we can thrive and continue growing in any circumstance. All things being equal, wisdom leads to the good life, a life of prosperity, a life of peace and joy. You see this all throughout the book of Proverbs. But even when hard times come, as they always do, wisdom allows us to continue flourishing, albeit in a different kind of way. But even in the midst of great suffering, wisdom allows us to flourish. Think about Job. Job is part of the Bible's wisdom literature. Think about the man Job, a wise man. His wisdom enables him to persevere through trials. He remains patient and he endures through great suffering because of his wisdom. Don't confuse wisdom with knowledge. You know, people can know a great deal of facts. They can be very smart. You can have a very high IQ and still lack Wisdom. Nobody doubts that Carl Sagan was very, very smart. He could make all kinds of calculations about the number of stars in the galaxy and their distance from Earth. But his personal life and his overall worldview were very much a mess. He was married several times, had a hard time making uh, his marriages work out. Uh, Thanks to him, the U.S. government wasted millions of dollars looking for extraterrestrial life that was never found. He was very intelligent but not wise. A lot of very smart people have a very abstract or theoretical knowledge of the world. This can be true even in the church, where someone may be very well-read, 
They may have a very theoretical knowledge of Scripture. They may know a lot of systematic theology. But it remains very impractical, very abstract. I've known pastors like this. Their sermons are very theologically sound, but they never touch real life. They never intersect with daily realities. They know a great deal of theology, but it is remarkably impractical. Wisdom is all about how we live our lives. Wisdom is all about the give and take of daily life, the push and pull of daily life. It's not just intellectual. It's not just theoretical. It's not just abstract. It has to do with the nuts and bolts of life. It has to do with family and work and play and money and relationships and community and ruling, leadership, speech, and on and on we could go. Wisdom or the lack thereof, will be seen in one's everyday life. If you're a wise person, that's going to bear fruit. If you're lacking in wisdom, if you're foolish, if you're living by the wrong kind of wisdom, that will manifest itself in daily life. Let me add another layer to this. James speaks of heavenly and earthly wisdom. There are two wisdoms. Now let me complicate the picture for you a little bit here. We should not automatically equate heavenly wisdom with advice that Christians give and earthly wisdom with advice non-Christians give. The reality is Christians can be very foolish. In fact, the Christians James is writing to have been acting very foolishly, which is why he addresses this topic. They have been living by the wrong wisdom or they are in danger of living by the wrong wisdom, of ordering their lives and their community according to a demonic form of wisdom rather than a a heavenly kind of wisdom, a spiritual kind of wisdom. And while non-Christians, if we flip this around, while non-Christians certainly cannot have wisdom about ultimate realities, because Christ is the ultimate wisdom, ultimate wisdom is only given to those who fear the Lord, we learn that from Proverbs, nevertheless, many non-Christians are in touch at least with certain aspects of reality and can often possess wisdom to a significant degree. And so we can learn from them. You know, there's the old saying, all truth is God's truth. All wisdom is God's wisdom. And sometimes that wisdom is found among unbelievers. Solomon trusted the Lord. Think about Solomon in the book of Kings. Solomon trusted the Lord. He's the one responsible for most of the Bible's wisdom literature. He was told, ask whatever you want. The Lord says, ask whatever you want, and I'll give it. He wisely asks for wisdom, and then he receives wisdom as a gift from the Lord. And so he's able to produce the Bible's wisdom literature, much of it. But what's interesting is that many of the Proverbs that are found in the book of Proverbs, many of those wise sayings there can actually be found in other ancient religious texts that don't necessarily depend upon the book of Proverbs. There's overlap in some areas. And it's interesting, 1 Kings chapter 4 tells us Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt. Solomon had wisdom, and he had a greater wisdom than all the wise men of the East and all the wise men of Egypt. But note there, the way that is described, it tells us these pagan people in the East and in Egypt did have wisdom to some degree. Not as much as Solomon's wisdom. Their wisdom was nowhere near as great as Solomon's wisdom, but they did have a real wisdom. And this means we can learn from unbelievers. We have to be careful. We have to be discerning. We can't learn about 
anything and everything from them. Certainly we can't learn from them about the most important or most central things in life. But at the same time, we have to admit, Christians don't have a monopoly on wisdom. The Ben Franklins and Jordan Petersons of the world can and do teach us things that we often need to hear. Ben Franklin's a really good example of this, as far as I know. He was not a Christian. Now, certainly he had the benefit of being immersed in a largely Christian culture. He heard a lot of preaching. He was very familiar with the Bible, so no doubt a lot of what he had to share in terms of his wisdom, he absorbed from Christian sources. But he was not a believer himself. But even as a non-Christian, he was able to say many things that are true as far as they go. Because they were based on sound observations about human life. Sayings that, uh, like, uh, a penny saved is a penny earned. And early to bed, early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. Who can argue with those as proverbial sayings, as forms of wisdom? So non-Christians can have a kind of partial wisdom about things, about reality. We need to understand that wisdom, the kind of wisdom James is calling us to here, this, this heavenly wisdom, is a guide in all of life. Just because it's described as heavenly wisdom, don't think that it is somehow detached from the, the, the practical realities of day-to-day life. The kind of wisdom James is calling us to here will answer questions like, do I talk too much? Do I work too little? Am I too quick to anger or too slow to make a decision? Do I make my money serve me or do I serve my money? Am I able to minimize disputes with other people? Am I able to to reconcile ruptured relationships? Am I able to resolve problems in my relationships? Can I navigate that terrain? Or do I not really understand human nature all that well, sort of what makes people tick? Do I exercise sound judgment or do I continually make decisions that I come to regret? What is wisdom? What is wisdom? Wisdom perceives the nature of things, the way things are, the principles and patterns embedded in God's providence. It's being attuned to the structure of reality, the way things work and the end of things. Wisdom is shrewdness. Wisdom is clever, it's witty, it's gritty, it's practical know-how. Wisdom can be located in the hands as much as in the mind or the heart. It's knowing how to do things in God's world. It's knowing how to get things done. It's skill. Wisdom is a skill to negotiate and maneuver effectively and fruitfully in various situations. Wisdom means you know how to read a situation. You know how to interpret what people say and interpret their body language. You can read all the signals, and so you know what to do. Wisdom is oriented towards dominion. Wisdom is all about ruling over and transforming God's creation and human society. And that's why we especially want those who are in authority over us to have wisdom so they can rule well over God's creation and over humans, over people. And it's why when we find ourselves in positions of authority, we know we have need for wisdom as well. Wisdom is kingly. It's Solomonic. Wisdom is given to govern. Wisdom is all about how we relate to creation and culture, to the world God built and the world that men have built out of the world God built. Wisdom is the art of living well. It's, you could say, going with the grain of the universe. 
It's moving in tune with, in step with God's creational design. The wise centrally learn from Scripture. Scripture is our central source of wisdom. But we're also called to attend to the world around us. The wise will treat every experience like a classroom. The wise will treat every person, young or old, as a potential teacher. Someone you can learn from. Wisdom is using imaginative and creative strategies to righteously achieve what the Bible says should be done. Scripture tells us what should happen in wisdom. We strategize how to make that happen in a righteous way. Wisdom builds a better man, a better ruler, a better leader. Wisdom makes us better men, better women, better children. Wisdom makes you the best version of yourself. It turns all your potentiality into actuality. It actualizes all of your potential. Wisdom is all about the framework we use for interpreting the world and our experience. Earthly wisdom, demonic wisdom, distorts the way we see the world, and therefore it distorts the way we act in the world. Whereas heavenly wisdom gives us a framework for interpreting the world that is consistent with who God is and with the way he created and sustains his world. That is to say, it is a framework grounded in reality. And so when we act in wisdom, when we act out of wisdom, we are leaning into the way God designed us to live. We're fulfilling God's design for our lives. We're moving towards the end for which God created us. Wisdom knows God's ways are best, and wisdom seeks out God's ways in all of life. Now, wisdom is never as popular as it should be, but wisdom is not popular because it teaches many things that are difficult for us to take. Wisdom teaches many unpopular truths that are hard to swallow. Wisdom can have sharp edges. Wisdom is not politically correct. T.S. Eliot said, humanity can bear very little reality. He might as well have said, humanity can bear very little wisdom. Because wisdom is reality. Wisdom is unpalatable to fallen men who want to live their own way. Who want to be able to look back over their lives and say, I did it my way. Wisdom is unpalatable to those who simply want to live for their own pleasure in the moment. Wisdom is all about realism. It's all about the link between actions and consequences. It's all about reaping. It's all about sowing and reaping. Wisdom tells the truth even when, maybe especially when, the truth is hard to take. When the truth has hard edges. Wisdom comes to grips with the world as it is, not the world as we'd like it to be. Wisdom deals with the world as it really is, not the way we wish it were. Wisdom from below, that earthly wisdom, traffics in fantasy, what we wish were true. And in that way, it coddles us in our immaturity. It doesn't change us for the better. Wisdom from above does change us from the better because it forces us to come face to face with the facts, with the way things are. Wisdom from above traffics in truth, in reality. We must be on a quest for that kind of wisdom, the wisdom that comes from above. True wisdom is grounded in both special revelation, that is God's scripture, as we meditate on it day and night, and natural revelation as well, as we observe and reflect on the way creation works. We have plenty of examples of this in scripture, where the Apostle Paul will say, does not even nature teach you? Or Solomon saying, go to the ant. 
If you read the Bible's wisdom literature, you'll find many examples of what it means to observe these creational patterns. A lot of wisdom, frankly, comes from just paying attention. Paying attention to what works and what doesn't and taking notes. As we grow in wisdom, we internalize God's revelation more and more. And so doing the right thing becomes more and more a matter of habit. It becomes more and more intuitive and instinctive for us. We become virtuous people for whom doing what is right simply becomes who we are. See, wisdom and virtue are linked. Wisdom has to do with virtue. Wisdom has to do with character. And kids, let me speak to you for just a minute. Kids, this is what your parents are seeking to do with you. They are teaching you wisdom. It's why they spend so much time disciplining you. It's why they spend time teaching you. When I was a kid, we called it lecturing. Our parents would lecture to us. But it's why your parents teach you. It's because they want you to grow into faithful and fruitful adults who can live well. Kids, life will go so much better for you if you cooperate with what your parents are doing instead of resisting them. You'll have a lot of friends who will resist what their parents are trying to teach them. But kids, you should make it your goal to soak up like a sponge, to soak up, to absorb as much of your parents' wisdom as possible. And that will keep you from having to learn a lot of life's lessons the hard way. That's what your parents are really doing when they teach you. They're sort of giving you the answer key. Here's how you live. And if you'll do these things, if you'll learn these things the easy way, as you're being taught by your parents, that'll save you from having to learn them the harder way later on in life. So kids, the more of your life you build according to your parents' instruction now, the less of your life you're going to have to tear down and rebuild later. Will save you from a lot of mistakes and a lot of hardship. Your parents are seeking to do for you what James is seeking to do for the whole church in this letter. And that is impart wisdom. One more thing to note here. I've said all along that James is wisdom literature. From beginning to end, James is wisdom literature. You can think of James as a kind of New Testament Proverbs, but uh, there are other pieces of wisdom literature mixed in. James is communicating to us about wisdom. Mainly he echoes Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. That's really what drives the letter. Now, to this point in the letter, he has mainly developed themes from Proverbs about seeking wisdom. Proverbs is all about seeking wisdom, and James is as well. Proverbs is all about what wisdom looks like in daily life, in community, in leadership, in speech. And James is focused on just those things. Now, what's interesting is after this section in chapter 3 that we've just read, verses 13 to 18, he's going to begin to echo other more complex pieces of wisdom literature, particularly Ecclesiastes and Job. So, so far he's been echoing Proverbs. You come to this section that is explicitly about wisdom, and after this now he's going to start to echo Ecclesiastes and Job. Much, much more. And those pieces of of wisdom literature are much more enigmatic than Proverbs. And so in chapter 4, he's just to give you some examples of this, he's going to describe our lives as a mist or as a vapor in chapter 4. Well, that's what Ecclesiastes says about our lives, that our lives are a mist or a vapor that we cannot control. And James says the same thing. It's kind of a a summary of Ecclesiastes. He he boils it all down. In chapter 5, he's going to warn against oppressing the poor, something the book of Job also warns about. Job even says, I was a rich man, but I did not oppress the needy. 
Instead, he cared for the widow and orphan. He also points to Job. James also points to Job as an example of patience and perseverance in the midst of trial. That's what he comes to towards the very end of the book. So it's really interesting that the first half of the book or so really develops themes from Proverbs. The last half of the book really develops themes from Ecclesiastes and from Job. There's a progression there, even as there's a progression in the wisdom literature. What's interesting is this. This section in chapter 3, verses 13 to 18, is really the hinge. It's the section of the letter where wisdom is most concentrated. It's not just implicit, it's explicit. And this is also the central section of the letter. Structurally speaking, it's right in the middle. The letter of James has several sections, and usually these sections begin with James saying, my brethren, or he says, you. Each section begins with some kind of direct address, and depending on how you count things right towards the end of the letter, there are either 13 or 14 such sections in the letter. This is the seventh section. It is the middle section. It's right smack dab in the middle of the letter, structurally speaking. And that means this section in chapter 3, verses 13 to 18, is really the peak of the letter. It's the rhetorical and structural high point of the letter. In terms of the architecture of James, this is the tower. This is the peak from which you can look down and see the rest of the epistle. And see what's going on in the rest of it. And when we do that, what do we see? We see really what James is doing in this entire letter is contrasting these two kinds of wisdoms. The wisdom from above and the wisdom from below. What James has been doing in this whole letter is contrasting two wisdoms, two ways of life, two paths, which really does make the the whole letter look a whole lot like Proverbs or look a whole lot like the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' wisdom teaching. But the theme of the whole letter is right here. What is the letter of James about? If you had to boil it down, it's summarized right here in this section. The whole book of James is a call to follow heavenly wisdom rather than earthly wisdom. To pursue the wisdom that comes from above rather than the wisdom from below. In other words, if you want to boil the whole letter down, it's really about maturity. You could put James in one sentence, follow the heavenly wisdom, or you could even put it in one word, maturity. That's what the whole letter is about. That's James in one word, maturity. James has used the word perfection several times, but as, as we've talked about that, as we've been through those sections, really we, we saw that could be better translated as maturity. When he speaks of perfection, he's really talking about maturation. The letter's all about growing up. It's about the people of God growing up into maturity, growing up into people who are whole, growing up into people who do not live divided lives, but singular lives, lives with a singular purpose and a singular focus. It's all about living with integrity. Integrity is all about wisdom. Integrity, you can define it as purity of heart. It's to will one thing. The life of wisdom is a life of integrity. Integrity is crucial to gaining wisdom. You have to be singular in your focus, singular in your purpose if you're going to attain wisdom. You can't seek the wisdom from above and the wisdom from below at the same time. You can't walk the path to heaven and the path to hell at the same time. You have to have integrity and just be all in on the path you're pursuing. You have to be all in in this 
quest for the heavenly wisdom. But it's going to be one or the other. This path or that path. This end or that end. James is an apostle calling on the church's leading men and by implication the whole congregation to live lives of mature wisdom in Christ Jesus. And when you see this is what the whole letter is about, it it, it just makes so much sense to look at the whole letter in light of this pursuit of heavenly wisdom. Think about all the themes we've already seen in the book of James. And now look at those themes in light of this passage here as a call to wisdom. What have we seen? Review the whole letter. James wants us to have wisdom about trials, wisdom in prayer and prayer for wisdom, wisdom about wealth and poverty, wisdom about temptation and dealing with desires. All those things are in chapter one. You keep going. He wants us to have wisdom about the good and perfect gifts the father has given us in the son and the spirit. Wisdom about the new birth, wisdom about the word. So we don't only hear the word, we do it. We put it into practice. Wisdom about how to receive the word, that we're to receive it meekly so it might be implanted in our souls. Wisdom about religion, wisdom about worldliness, wisdom about widows and orphans, wisdom about justice and partiality, wisdom about ruling and judging, wisdom about how to work out our faith like Abraham and Rahab who are loyal to God in very tricky situations. And so James wants us to have wisdom about how to obey God in complex and perplexing times. Wisdom about speech. Wisdom about relationships, about life and community. Wisdom about cultural transformation. That gets us right up to where we are in chapter 3. But if we keep going, to kind of, that's a review. If we preview what is to come, it's the same thing. We see he wants us to have wisdom about persecution, wisdom about infighting and division in the church, wisdom about work and planning and decision making, wisdom about the future, wisdom about economics and social life, wisdom about endurance and prayer and sickness, worship about wisdom about church discipline and resolving disputes, wisdom about correcting an erring brother, wisdom about worship and the use of the Psalms, wisdom about forgiveness. You see that the the whole letter is a veritable handbook of what it means to live out the heavenly wisdom. It's a handbook of wise living. It's all there. Wisdom for all of life. Absorb these lessons about wisdom and you will live a fruitful and effective life. Seeking wisdom is a duty. It is an obligation. Implementing this wisdom in our lives so it flows out of our fingertips. And out of our mouths is our duty. And the younger in life you get started seeking this wisdom, the better. The earlier you get started pursuing this kind of wisdom, the better. It means you will minimize major painful mistakes in life. It means you've got time to grow and learn. The earlier you start absorbing this wisdom. James wants us to be students of this heavenly wisdom, disciples of this wisdom, so we can embody it in all that we do. Because James' goal is our maturity. He wants to build us into better men and women and children. So we become the kind of people who can make the world a better place by making ourselves better. James isn't just throwing words on paper. That's actually how Martin Luther once described this letter, just throwing words on paper. No, there is a point to what James is doing. It's ordered. It's structured. 
There's an order to this letter. There's an architecture to it. There is a progression. There is a goal that's driving James as he writes this letter. And this section is at the center of it all. This section is the tip of the spear. This section is the heart of James' message. This is what he wants to drive home more than anything else. We are to live by the wisdom that comes from above. A wisdom that, yes, will look foolish in the eyes of the world. Those who live by worldly wisdom will think this heavenly wisdom is foolish, even as they think the cross looks foolish. But this is a wisdom that confounds the wisdom of the world. This is a wisdom that leads to true human flourishing. Indeed, as James concludes this section, we see this is a wisdom that will produce the fruit of righteousness. If you want to live a fruitful life, a life that produces good fruit, lasting fruit, if you want your life to be a tree of life to others, If you want to be a tree of life to others, the way Proverbs talks about, you must live according to this heavenly wisdom. Jesus said, you will know them by their fruits. The wise are known by the fruit their lives bear, even as the foolish are known by the fruit their lives bear. This is the essential message of the whole letter. It is a call to improve yourself, to not be static or to settle for the status quo, but to continually level up to dynamically grow in every area of life, to become a well-rounded person, able to do many things well, with wide-ranging competence, with your heart and with your hands. So you're continually extending dominion and sowing seeds of wisdom into a larger and larger realm. That's what James calls us to. Because again, James wants to build us into better people. Better men, better women, better children, better Christians, better churches. What is this letter? It's a call onward and upward to Christian maturity. To live the the, the heavenly wisdom on earth. To do God's will on earth as it's done in heaven. To implement heavenly wisdom in our earthly lives. This is a wisdom that brings prosperity. A wisdom that brings endurance through trial. A wisdom for every season of life. A wisdom for every circumstance. A wisdom we must seek with all our hearts. For in seeking the wisdom of heaven, we are ultimately seeking Jesus Christ Himself, who is seated in heaven at the Father's right hand, and who is the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so to live by the heavenly wisdom is to live like Christ. To become wise is to become like Jesus. The wise life is the truly human life. It's the truly Christ-like life. This is what James is calling us to. Let's pray together. Father, we do ask that you would help us to seek this wisdom from above. That you would help us to live according to the wisdom of Jesus. Through whom you created the world and now through whom you have redeemed the world. Father, would you make us like Jesus? May we live truly and fully human lives because we live according to your design for us. We live according to the wisdom that comes from above. Help us to reject earthly wisdom and to pursue your wisdom. This we pray in the name of the wise one, the one who is your wisdom, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.